Well, it's so good to be with you all today. I want to uh, officially welcome you to the Pastor Wears Maroon Day. Sterling, looking good? That's what we do at staff meetings. We talk about what we're going to wear. Hey, I'm, I'm just so excited to be with you today as we kick off this new series of Faith That Finishes as we look into the letter of Second Peter. And as we begin our time today, I'm curious, um, have you ever received an invitation that you never thought was possible, that, that you never expected to receive. A couple of years ago, uh, my wife Judy and I experienced something similar uh, to that. Earlier that summer, this was probably back in 2019, uh, and earlier that summer, her company did a, a staff outing to a Chicago Cubs game. And for part of her job, she was kind of in charge of planning and, and organizing all of that. And later that year, after the season was over, we found out that the Cubs uh, do something for people that organize big group outings, where they invite you back and offer you a behind-the-scenes tour of Wrigley Field. And you get a plus one, which I was especially excited about. Now, for those of you that have heard me speak before or know me at all, you, you might know how big a deal that is for me. And so I was just so excited, so kind of weirdly nervous. Uh, and as we were getting ready, I like didn't know what to wear. It was kind of like, like first date kind of energy. I was just like, just really anxious for this to happen. And so we go down to, to Wrigley Field that day, and it was just this incredible time that I will never forget. In fact, I brought some pictures with me to uh, let you know that this wasn't just a dream that I had. <laughs> Some of you have never seen me smile like that before. There are very few moments in my life that have brought that out, but that's me in the Cubs dugout. That's, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, that will, I'm touching the brick uh, of the outfield wall. You can see the dead ivy there. That's kind of a weird look. Let's keep moving. Uh, that's me in the, the bullpen where the relief pitchers warm up, pretending like I am also a relief pitcher because I'm apparently, I'm a child. Uh, keep going. That's... That's manager Joe, in case the Cubs are looking for a replacement. Look out, David Ross. Uh, I think we have a few more. That's Judy and I in left field. They told us to not go on the field and stay on like the warning track, and we did not follow that request. Uh, and then I think one more. So, <laughs> so that's uh, in the clubhouse. They have a space we can take batting practice. My favorite part of this, you can see Judy's reflection on the right side there going like... <laughs> So we made a fool of ourselves that day. It was great. <laughs> you can put that one off. See, so it was just a great moment, just, just an incredible experience that I will never forget. And I remember feeling, even when I was there, almost like I was a part of something that I shouldn't have been invited to, that I wasn't supposed to see. It almost felt like too good to be true to, to see the field and to sit in the dugout and, and to imagine myself where all of my childhood heroes played. It was this incredible time that I never thought was possible. And today, as we kick off this new series called A Faith That Finishes, we're going to be looking at something like that. In fact, if you've been tracking with us these past few months, you might remember that we've been doing this kind of deep dive into the book of First Peter. And we've been looking at these lessons like that we have this living hope, that we're born again, that we have become a, a holy nation, and that God's presence and power is with us even in the midst of persecution. And Peter's letter in 2 Peter is written to the same group of Christians, and yet where his first letter focused more on the external threats, the, the world out there, the persecution out there, this one that we're going to be exploring today in these next several weeks focuses more on what's going on inside, the inside of the church, the inside of the heart of the Jesus follower. That's where we're going to be going over the next five weeks. This is often referred to as Peter's farewell address. In fact, in this letter, we'll be looking at next week 
He himself says that I know my time is short. I don't have much time left. And so there's almost this urgency that he has as he writes. This is what you need to know. This is my very last thing that I want to tell you. And and in it, we see something very similar to what Judy and I experienced that day. An invitation into a life and a faith that is so much more than what we think is possible. Something that is bigger and better. So let's jump into it together today. We're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, in virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's a few things that I want to look at today when it comes to this invitation, this faith that we have been invited to. And the first is a sufficient faith. I remember back when Judy and I got married, there came a point early on in our marriage where we asked this question. I wonder if you've asked it as well. Do we have enough? Do we have enough? For us, we got married when we were pretty young and we were just starting out in our careers and, and we were trying to figure out you know, how to pay bills and how to make a budget and paying student loans. And, and there came a point where we had to decide, you know, how are we going to make this work? Do we really have enough for what we need? Now, we're doing just fine. Don't worry. This isn't going to lead to asking for a personal donation. It's not it at all. But there were certain habits that we started during this time, some of which we still continue to this day. One of them being is that we stopped buying napkins and we started stealing them from restaurants. (laughs) I've never committed to a crime before in a sermon, but that's where we're at. See, we would go to restaurants that, you know, some of those, they they have them uh, kind of out there and you can take, you're supposed to take like a couple, I think, Um, but we would take more than a couple. And I don't want to throw Judy under the bus, but I'm going to. (laughs) See, when I would do this, I would take like five or six you know, in that range to hold us over for a couple of meals. She would take like 30. Um, and we would go to like Chipotle and her burrito bowls like this high and her stack of napkins was like this high. And like we're set for the weekend. And so we would do this and people would come over for dinner and we're serving them a meal and we give them just like a stack of McDonald's napkins with like a Chick-fil-A thrown in there. Like it's just all class in the Scavato house. 
In fact, if you went to my car right now and you looked in the little compartment in between the seats, you would just see it's just packed in with napkins. Like, I'm set if I ever eat on the road. And this is true. The first time we bought a single napkin in our entire marriage, we've married almost six years, the first time was around this time last year when all the restaurants were locked down and we had no other choice, and it was the worst $3 I've ever spent. Do I have enough? Do, do we have enough? You've asked this, right? Maybe it's about your finances as well, or maybe your napkin supply. Maybe, though, it, it's about something else. Maybe it's about your ability, your, your skill, your intelligence. Maybe about a relationship that you have. Maybe you've even asked it about your relationship with God. Do I have enough? Is God enough for me? Peter talks about this in these first four verses of this letter. Let me read them again for you. Verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the order of that. This is Peter, one of the most influential people in history. And yet his primary identity is servant of Christ before apostle. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So here's Peter, and he's kind of setting up the main ideas for this letter, that this group of Christians, this persecuted church, has been called to a different kind of life. That word called that we see here can also be translated to invite. So what is it that we have been invited to? Look at verse 3. He says that it is through the knowledge of God that he gives us all things for life. In other words, if you have knowledge of Jesus, even if you have nothing else, you have enough. Jesus is sufficient. Now, that word knowledge is really important. When, when Peter is talking about knowledge here, he's not talking about just memorizing facts or having information. Now, I know we have some kids and students here today. I wonder if you ever had to learn something in school, or maybe you studied for a test, and you're studying that night before, and you learn it for the test, and then if someone gave you that same test two weeks later, it would be gone. Maybe just me? That happened all the time. Now, the knowledge that Peter is talking about is not that. It is something so much better, so much deeper. This is knowledge that comes with experience, with firsthand contact with someone or something. Let me give you an example of what he's talking about. A, a few weeks ago, um, we took some friends of ours to Lou Malnati's for the first time. They'd never been before, and so I was telling them all about it. I was like, man, you've got to try this. There's deep dish, and the crust is so good. Look at that picture. Oh, my gosh. What was I talking about? No, I'm kidding. And I, I was telling them all about the experience that they were going to have. And then we went there, and they had that first bite. And they really knew what it was. And it blew their minds. <laughs> See, this is the difference between knowing about and truly knowing. And Peter is saying there are plenty of people who know about Jesus. There are plenty of people in the world, and there are plenty of people in the church. 
that know about Jesus, and you have been invited to something better. You've been invited to have a personal experience, to encounter the holy God of the universe himself, to have a relationship with him. This is what we have been invited to, to have this knowledge. And then we see in verse 4 that through this knowledge, we receive precious and great promises. A while ago, there was a teacher that tried to count all of the promises that God makes in the Bible. And his count was 7,487. So we're going to go through all those today. No, I'm kidding. Now, I can't, I can't vouch for that. If you want to fact check him, you'd be my guest. But, but the point is there are a lot of promises that God makes in Scripture. So, so what is he talking about here? What promises do we receive? What promises are granted to us? Here's what I think it is. I think the promise is that Jesus is who he says that he is. If that promise is true, if he really is who he says that he is, then everything changes. If he is who he says that he is, if he's not just a wise teacher or a crazy person, but if he is God himself, then when we grow in our knowledge of him, look at verse 4, we become partakers in the divine nature. In other words, it's not that we become God, but it is God that has come to us. It is his spirit that lives in us, and it is Jesus who shines through us. This is the life that we are called to. This is the invitation that we have. A life that believes that if I have nothing else but I have Christ, then that is enough. That he is enough for me. That when I am confused, he is my guide. That when I am hurt, he is my healer. When I am lost, he is my light. When I am lonely, he is my friend. And when I am overjoyed, he is the reason. This is the calling. This is the invitation. And so here is the question for you. Is Jesus really enough for us? In the way that we live our lives, is he enough? Is he enough for the doubt that you have been feeling? Enough for the grief that you have been hiding. Enough for the sin that has a stronghold on you. Is he really enough? Now, I know for many of us, maybe even in this season or in another season of life, the answer isn't always yes to that question. And maybe it's been a while since it seems like you've really experienced and known who Jesus is. And what I love about this passage is that if that's true for you, there's no guilt and there's no shame and there's no condemnation. There's simply an answer to grow in your knowledge of Christ. In other words, to get to know your Savior, to spend time with him, to to ask him a hard question, to read his biography, to talk to his kids about him. Get to know him. His promises are true. He is who he says he is. He is enough. Peter continues in this letter, he shows us a supplemental faith as well. Back when I was a kid, uh, probably around age 10 or 11 or so, there were certain milestones that I really, really was looking forward to in my life. I was really looking forward to turning 13 and becoming a teenager, to turning 16 and, and getting my driver's license, to turning 18 and, and becoming an adult and having independence, which that last one, kind of regret wishing that. <laughs> 
But there was one milestone that really stood out for me above all the other ones. It was becoming the tallest person in my family. I was the youngest of two. My, my brother and my dad were both uh, taller than me, and they would always just give me a really hard time about it. And they would, you know, ask me how the weather was down there and ask if I was tall enough to ride the roller coaster, you know, all the classics. And I just waited for my day. And I waited, and I was like, God, make me tall, please. <laughs> and, and, and finally, when I was probably 17 or 18 years old, I hit, hit a growth spurt, and I got to six feet tall, the tallest in my family. I did it. And I was so happy about it. I didn't stop talking about it for weeks. Like, I was just, you know, anytime I could remind them, if they were just, like, standing somewhere, I would just, like, walk up and go back to back and be like, hey, take that. <laughs> it was just a great moment in my life. And, and I just wanted to make sure that they noticed how much I had grown. And here, Peter's talking about growth as well, and he's telling these Christians that as you mature in your faith, as you grow in that knowledge of God, that knowledge will always lead to growth. And growth will always be noticed by others. Knowledge will always lead to growth, and growth will always be noticed by others. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So Peter has just told us that in Christ we have everything we need. Anything you could want, anything for life and for godliness, God has given you. And then he turns around and says, add to that. How? How am I supposed to add something that Jesus hasn't already given me. Now, I think for many of us, this is where we can get tripped up a little bit when it comes to faith, and we think that we have to be good enough or earn something or earn God's love or, or get to a certain level in order to be good enough. But here's the key phrase in this verse. It says, for this very reason. In other words, because I know and have experienced Jesus, a true experience with Christ will not just change my future, it will also change my present, and it will change the way in which I live. James puts it this way in James chapter 2, uh, verse 18. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So with that in mind, we see Peter give us this list of seven attributes or, or seven signs of a growing faith. It almost reads kind of like a recipe, right? Like, to our faith, we should add virtue. Virtue meaning moral excellence. This way of living that reflects the morals of Jesus in our everyday choices. Then to that, second, we add knowledge. Knowledge of God. Knowledge of what is good and true and right. But knowledge is not enough. We also add self-control. Not just knowing what is good and true and right, but reflecting that in the things that we do and the things that we don't do. To self-control, we add steadfastness. In other words, perseverance, endurance in times of difficulty. Godliness, literally devotion and reverence for God. Brotherly affection or, or brotherly love. This is the word where we get the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. To command, to care for one another as a family. And then to all of that, you add this love. Love, this word agape, this, this higher kind of love, this 1 Corinthians 13, read it at a wedding kind of love. Love that is patient and kind. 
Love that hopes and bears and believes all things. Love that is selfless. Love that points people to Jesus. So Peter is making this point that, that simply put, if you have truly experienced and if you truly know God, it will always lead to spiritual growth. To know is to grow. Now again, it's important to remember that this is closer to a recipe where many of us, I think, treat it like a menu. This is not something that you can pick and choose. This isn't something that you can opt out of in your spiritual life. Uh, A few months ago, actually for Christmas this past year, I got a homemade pasta maker. Um, I thought it'd be really fun to make pasta from scratch. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. And so a few months ago, Judy and I uh, went to the kitchen and we tried to make it. Um, And it took us like two hours, a super long process, and it sounded really fun. And then we had to do it and it was not fun. (laughs) Um, You know, you have to make the dough and roll it out and all this stuff. And we got to the end product and it was terrible. It was dry and gross and like, I, I don't even know. It was bad. And we went back and we found the recipe, and we realized that instead of adding three eggs, we only added two. And just that one mistake ruined everything. It ruined the whole batch. It ruined our night. We were miserable. I think Peter is saying that that these attributes, these lists, these signs of faith are a little bit similar in that you can't have one without the others. You cannot live a godly life without having self-control. You cannot love your brother unless you have the knowledge of how God sees your brother. So here's what I want to encourage you to do even as we sit here now. As you look at this list, as you look at your life, take a moment and reflect on how you're doing. How much value do you put on living with moral excellence? How much does your life reflect and love your brothers in Christ? Are you known by your patient and kind and selfless love? Now, of course, we all have room to grow. Of course, it won't be tens across the board. But the mark of a living and growing and active faith is this, that however you answered that question now, if I were to ask you a month from now or a year from now or 10 years from now, You could do exactly what I did to my dad and to my brother, and you could go back to back with your past self, and you could say, look how much I've grown. Look how much I've changed. Look how much God has transformed and continues to transform my life. Peter shows us a sufficient faith, a supplemental faith, and then finally we see a secure faith. I'm going to read the last couple of verses for us here. We'll start at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter ends the section with these words, and as we look at them, we have to remember the stage of life that Peter was in. Remember that his life was almost over. He knew it. In in verse 14, we'll see it next week, he says that, I know the end of my days are coming. 
And as he talks about this rich entrance into the kingdom, this celebratory procession that he knows is on the way, you can tell that this is not just words for him. That this is real. This is what is ahead of him. This is the reason that he lives without fear or anxiety. And instead, he talks about the kind of legacy that he wants to leave. This is something that the Apostle Paul talks about a lot. In fact, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, you may have heard this verse before. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And I think this is Peter's version of those words. He's showing us what it looks like to leave behind a legacy of faith. First, it looks like fruitfulness. Verse 8. He says, to keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. The language there being of a harvest that doesn't produce a crop. Something that doesn't fulfill its very purpose for existing. And the reality is that it's very possible and maybe even common for people to have almost a lazy faith. To view faith as something that is for my future, for my eternity. It's my get out of hell free card. And yet Peter's saying, you've been invited into something that affects your everyday life. That's to be a true follower of Jesus, is to recognize that our purpose is to be effective and productive. This is why he gives us these marks of faith that we can see how we're growing, to have these signposts to guide us as we become more like Christ. And then in verse 9, another part of this legacy is having clear sight. In verse 9, Peter talks about those who are nearsighted, so much so that they are blind. Now, the difference between nearsighted and farsighted is something I get wrong all the time. So I looked it up like five times in preparation. (laughs) To be nearsighted is to be able to see things close, but far away, it gets blurry. You would think I would remember because I am actually nearsighted. And a few months ago, I I got my prescription uh, strengthened after a long time of it not changing, and it was incredible the difference that it made. I'd been living this kind of blurry life, and, and I was getting headaches, and my eyes were always dry, and, and I probably wasn't driving super safely, and, and all of a sudden, I was given clarity. You see the connection, right? Peter is saying that if you are in Christ, if you have this faith, then you are given the gift of seeing the world and seeing yourself clearly. That a sign of an effective and growing faith is to be able to see God no matter what my circumstances are. As you look at your life, then maybe the past year, how have you seen God transforming and working on you? Where is his peace and his love showed up? What has he protected you from? Who or what has he put into your life to help you when things seem blurry? This is what it means in verse 10 when he says to confirm your calling and your election. This is how you know that your faith is real and secure, that that God has called you, that you have been chosen to do his work because of what he is doing in you. And in this way, Peter says in verse 11, in this way of growing in your love for one another, in, in growing in your faith and being effective and fruitful, we are given one more promise and one more invitation. An invitation that is greater than any behind the scenes tour, even at Wrigley Field. An invitation greater than we can even imagine here on this earth. That there is a celebration. There is a parade. There is an eternal and rich entrance into the kingdom of God. 
This is what's ahead for Peter. This is what he knows is coming, that Jesus himself, his creator and the God of the universe, the one that he followed around for three years and died for his sins, was waiting for him, and he was going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have left behind a legacy of faith one day, one moment, one choice at a time. Let that be true of us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you for the truth that is in your word. God, right now, I just want to pray for those of us that might be struggling to feel your presence, to know you in a personal way. God, would you reveal yourself to them even in this moment? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us to show our faith in the way that we grow, in the way that we serve, in the way that we love? one another. We ask this in your name.